The Effin' Rad Snowboard Podcast is presented by Vans. Before I start the show this week, listener Brian Michaels reached out asking me to shout out Dave Henkel, who passed away February 13th in an avalanche at Brandywine, a backcountry zone near Whistler. Brian said Dave, quote, kept under the radar while doing some of the raddest things. Super humble, super awesome. My daughter called him Super Dave, end quote. It's a loss that has sent a shock wave of sorrow through the snowboard community here in B.C. Dave Henkel's roommate and close friend, Justin Lamaru sent me this recording to play on the show, which I'm going to follow with a moment of silence. Hello, effing rad podcast listeners. Justin Lamaru here. A lot of my friends will for sure say Dave Henkel, who we lost this past weekend in a tragic accident, was an amazing human being massive big huge heart and loved adventuring and loved his friends but i'm going to tell a story because that's what friends do they make fun of their friends and i'd really like to make fun of dave when i can so earlier this year dave his dog shiloh christine Falecki, and myself went to go ski a kuwar and we'd gone pretty far from the trucks and dave looks into his pack and goes oh man i forgot my lunch in the truck i said dave no problem i got you covered i got plenty of snacks little while later, we get the dreaded glopping on the bottom of our skins where the snow sticks to the bottom of your skins. I had some skin wax. I said, hey guys, I got some skin wax. We'll take care of this. Here's the wax, or let me get the wax. And as I was throwing the wax to Dave, I said, hey Dave, do you want some snacks? Dave didn't catch the wax. He dropped it into the snow. I had my back turned. He reached into the snow, grabbed this little purple blob, and threw it into his mouth and promptly started chewing on it. The next thing I hear, what am I chewing on, cardboard? I turned around and looked at him to see his face kind of skewed a bit sideways as he was chewing into, into this. I said, Dave, what are you chewing on? He goes, I don't know, that shot block you just gave me. It's disgusting, it's terrible. I said, Dave, that was the skin wax. Both Christine and I obviously fell over laughing our asses off. Dave promptly spitting out all the wax (laughs) and then looked back up at me and said, can I have some proper snacks now, please? So when you're in the backcountry and you're hungry, take care of your wording because snacks and wax, they rhyme and only one tastes good. We later on went on to ride that couloir with his dog and there was a dog rappel involved. It was a pretty awesome day, just like all all days with my good friend, Dave Henkel. Hope you guys enjoyed the story. Peace out. Much love out there. Love you, Dave. Gonna miss you forever. Season 6 of F and Rad is sponsored by Wired Snowboards, who welcomed the legendary Devin Walsh to the team this week, the Boardroom Snowboard Shop, and on Optics, Ocean Rose Organics and Finest Quality Crow's Nest Barbershops, Tribute Board Shop in Nelson, B.C., and Stance Socks. Tribute Board Shop is a must-visit destination when you make the snowboarder's pilgrimage to Nelson, B.C. Tribute offers a curated collection of the best snowboarding and splitboarding equipment, plus boots and outerwear to help you enjoy your mountain experience, whether you're a seasoned veteran, a first-year snowboarder, or anything in between. When you're in Nelson, drop by for high fives and good times or shop online 
at tributeboardshop.ca. Support also comes from Grouse Mountain, Volcom Outerwear, and Mount Seymour. Special thanks to Chris Savage, who had the Kearns Hit groomed so nice for us this morning. Thanks again, Chris. Don Zabo was a pro snowboarder in the 90s who was prominently featured in snowboard magazines and movies. Some of the first images burned into my adolescent snowboarder brain were of Don backflipping in nectar ads or doing skits in the Creatures of Habit movies. As a founding member of the Lamar snowboarding team, Don Zabo paved the way for professional freestyle snowboarders around the world. It was a great honor to talk to an OG snowboarding legend, Don Zabo. I'm psyched that you've heard the show a little bit. That's that's pretty cool, man. Oh, totally. Like I said, I tweaked out on it after we talked for a little bit when you know I told you some stuff about Burt Lamar about two years ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I called you before I did his episode. That's right, because I was like, like, are you the first pro rider for Lamar? Probably for Lamar, yeah. Like I said, I used to skateboard with Burt Lamar, and I saw him up on the mountain... You know, after our skateboard days, up on the mountain on skis, I think I might have mentioned this to you before. Right. I said, what are you doing skis? We we ride sideways. We're, you know, skaters. So I got him into snowboarding, and he did well with it when we went to the 1987 Worlds in Breckenridge. And I was kind of jealous (laughs) because next thing you know, Tom Sims was there. And Tom Sims re-picked him back up, you know, as a snowboard athlete now. So all of a sudden he's on the full World Cup tour and I'm just kind of a local pro and scratching my head because yeah, he killed it in the half pipe right off the bat in his trip. Oh, that's such a rad story. Was he the one who would have told me that you were the guy that showed up at the skate park with the hockey helmet? Or would that have been someone else, maybe Rankwood or somebody? No, that actually was Burton. It's funny because, I mean, we rode at, at good levels after that. But, I mean, yeah, when I initially showed up to Skater Cross, you know, I just, and my dad, you know, we don't have a lot of money and just made do with, you know, hey, just wear this thing. So I'm wearing a, yeah, like a football helmet and show up to the skate park and, you know, just full ghetto gear. But Oh, yeah. I'm thinking it's a hockey helmet because I'm from Canada. But, yeah, it's a full on. And there's a picture of you in it. I've seen it. You're not a pro skater yet. But you eventually become a pro skater well before you're a pro snowboarder. Is that timeline right? Kind of. I mean, it was funny because, once again, I'm under my parents' roof. So even though I skated, you know, with, you know, Bert and many friends of mine went the skateboard contest route. And even though, you know, not daily, but I mean, I you know, skated with Christian Asoy and Hawk and Caballero and Ray Bones and used to skate Lance Mountain's ramp all the time and rode at all these guys level, but I was just having fun. I mean, that's where I still am in life. You know, I'm just, I don't care about, you know, contest results. It's been just more about having fun. So I rode at these guys' level. I really wasn't a pro, and it, it really wasn't until I was about 17 years old. And my dad said, hey, you know you're going to have to get a job at some point, right? And I said, well, no, I'll just go be a pro skater. Right. So I then entered a skate contest, Life's a Beach Hell Week skate contest, and all these guys that normally do the contest 
you know, I show up out of the blue and I, who's this guy? And I, I won the whole amateur division. So they said, you should just ride pro. So I rode the pro division and beat, you know, whatever Gator and the Danny way and, you know, podiumed. Nice. So, yeah. So like I said, and once again, I, I had local sponsorship. I rode for, well, I think it was Losi at the time. And before that turning point and tracker trucks and sponsored by, you know, smaller companies. But after this contest, at Life's the Beach, Life's the Beach picks me up and Airwalk and JT. And I was going to go the pro skateboard, you know, do the contests. And then they heard that I snowboarded well. Right. Bottom, it was kind of a collective idea, also between Sonny Miller that first started to be our, whatever, my local photographer I would hang out with. But said hey well you'll just be a pro snowboarder and i was into it because i dug snowboarding so i said we already have pro skaters we'll just pay you to be a pro snowboarder so it turned into that so and, so bbc the bad boys club right that's the that that's yeah the yeah life's the, the beach, life's slash the beach. Bad Boy club, same company, so is yeah. mouse involved with this at that time did you get to meet mouse at that time oh yeah that was my team manager in fact i just messaged back and forth with him recently asking him about photo credits because oh by the way adam from vintage snowboard ads yes to say hi oh rad yeah he he just reached out to me within the last couple weeks and so i was actually reaching out to mouse saying hey did you take this picture of me and you know action shots or in this cooler where it's more of a lifestyle shot yeah. next to this chick laying beach. <laughs> I did a bunch of lifestyle stuff way back. That was kind of before lifestyle or skit type stuff. I right. Think. But anyway, mouse and mouse did confirm that he shot that shot. He also shot this, uh, was it, uh, that was probably, yeah, it was a life's a beach ad, a sequence shot of a backflip. So, I had that on my wall when I was a kid. Backflip was my gut, was my move. Like I was into that. So like those early days of trans world, I guess, cause Nectar was taking out ads. BBC was taking out ads. There was a lot of Don Zabo. Yep. Yep. We were just having a lot of fun. It was a good time. So how did your parents feel about that? Did, did your dad still try and get you to get a job or you were, you were literally getting paid by life's a beach. Yeah. Pretty quickly. I was, you know, getting paid and a lot better than I would as, you know, get out of high school. So they were pretty flexible and let me roll with it. And yeah, I would say for a dozen years, you know, made a decent living and definitely went up into some of the decent years. And yeah, you know, the, the photos that you were sending me, I'm looking through them going like, I know a lot of these, the Airwalk ad you wrote for Airwalk when Airwalk was like the biggest boot company in the world for sure. Um, and yeah. the, all the pro model boards you had. So the, it's like 10 years of pro models, maybe more four on Nectar. Uh-huh. Is that right? Correct. I had four on Nectar, four with Lamar and two of my own board company that, well, it was going to be funded by the Japanese, yep. which I had a good connection there. And I went there six or seven years in the nineties. Yep. But right when the Japanese yen tanked mm-hmm. is when I came out and my Japanese distributor said, Oh, sorry, Zabo-san, we can't 
we can't fund your company. <laughs> oh man, so. that's got to be a tough call to like go out on your own. Well, the whole thing with the Lamar thing was that I've heard from Mike Rankwit, right? Like Rankwit wanted his name on the board bigger than Lamar, and Bert was smart. He wanted his name on the board bigger than the riders. But you guys were larger than life there. For those four years on Lamar, that team had all the heat behind it. You know what I mean? Like there was so let's go all the way back. What board would you have started out on and where in the world would you have been snowboarding at that time? Well, when I was skateboarding and I had my local skateboard shop sponsor was Green Sector. Mm-hmm. And they introduced me to a snowboard and said, you know, Hey, this is kind of like skateboarding on snow. And sure enough, when they took me, it was, it was just like skating on snow because that was what I was into was skating. And next thing you know, I'm boning out airs and, you know, big old methods and flying. And it just was a natural thing and flips and, you know, whatever single spins at the time on a sim swallowtail was just comfortable as it can be so loved it so i was really into that along with the skateboarding thing and then you just heard the story how that kind of clicked over and works for me <laughs> so how does how does nectar get into the picture and how how far into it is it like a year or two in sounds like you're on probably one of those sims 1500 fe's or a 1600 fe swallowtail which was a pretty good board for that era, right? Like those things ripped. Correct. Yeah. 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 Those things, I believe, worked better than the Burtons. Oh yeah. Because Burton having concave way back then mm-hmm. wasn't functional on any kind of icy conditions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Sims, little swallowtail worked well, and then, well, when I did the whole you know life to beach skate contest, and. I hooked up, you know, Jamie Mouse, you were speaking of, yeah. was my team manager. And then taking photos, hooked up with Sonny Miller as well. And then that transitioned into Sonny Miller, taking a lot of my early snowboard photos. We'd cruise around together. But he also is the one that hooked me up with Nectar, which was another San Diego company. Sick. Because Lisa Beach, Airwalk, JT, and Nectar were all down there after that. You know, Life's a Beach Hell Week contest event. And that was my home sponsors. And like I say it turned into Nectar because they were all right there, all cool people. And we we're all just going with the flow and having fun. I don't know that I've ever yeah. seen a Nectar board in real life. Like I remember it had like a bat tail. Is that right? It had a bat tail kind of like, and, and it had, you know, like they look like pretty functional shapes for that era. Where were they made? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, they were made at Taylor Dykema, which was also in San Diego. And they Sick. made like vision snowboards at the time. Yep. And before, well, the early Nectars, I don't know where they made these aluminum honeycomb square tail Whoa. ironing boards, <laughs> but uh, they had those made somewhere else. And then I don't know the tail shape that you're meaning is like my first pro model, but I used to have a, a notch in the tail and that yeah. was from my skateboard days. I would actually cut a notch in the tail so I could do, you know, tail taps or front side tail taps or 360 tail taps. And it would 
lock into the coping. Sick. And so I brought that design over into my snowboard. I had my own little twist So you to it. actually got to design your board. It wasn't like one of these things where they're making a board and they just throw a graphic on with your name. You, you, that's so incredible and awesome. Yeah. In fact, that, and then when it got to the Lamar days, which I could say I was tripping on Bert going, why would you ride snowboards for a few years and then want to go sit behind a desk? Right. I mean, we could travel all around the world. You're an idiot, but obviously, <laughs> you know, he's business minded. And totally. It works out. It's all good. But, uh, Point being, though, yeah, I got to design all of my snowboard models, and then I actually would help out with, I don't know if I helped, you know, Ranklitz or Jimmy Scott's. I remember helping with other designs because I kind of had half a clue on lifts and cambers and widths and side cuts and stuff like that. So that's so sick. Yeah, like, I'll so you enjoyed, with that. yeah, enjoyed like designing those boards. So I remember, and I've talked about it with a couple of people, like that first year that Lamar came out, I went to Wendell's that year, and Fred Yoder, Gilligan, was riding <laughs> one, and so was yep. Brian Harper, but they were these black boards that just said Lamar on the bottom. They got a lot of hype on those ones, but by all accounts, those boards kind of just fell apart, but... um did you ride as far back as those, or was the first Lamar board you rode the the suit card, you know, like the the king board? Oh no, I've I rode those since day one. <laughs> first little squiggle, yeah. squiggle line Lamar that you can read both ways. Yeah, yeah. So no, I rode since day one on those things. So did he come to you and say like, "I'm going to do this. I'm I'm doing my own company." Because he wasn't on Sims very long, right? Like, he cashed a couple of checks. He was mad at Tom for being, you know, according to Ken Ock, he was mad at Tom for mm -hmm. fucking him over when he was a kid on Sims. You know, like, who messes over right. a kid, right? Like, that's so bad. So, Bert was like, hey, guess what? I'm going to sign a contract with Sims. Then I'm going to take the money and make my own brand. Which, yeah, good, man. Is is that yeah, kind of what happened? Business. Yeah. Yeah. And also, look was in the mix somewhere there with him, oh, too. Oh, yeah. The whole, yeah. And then, obviously, yeah, he came to myself and Ranklet and other people that he had, you know, crossed paths when we were snow sliding. And once again, he's good business-minded. So, yeah. Spooked up some good riders and knew how to throw some promotion in the mix. And I know you were mentioning, you know, him wanting his name bigger and maybe having a back and forth with Ranklet, but he did know how to kind of let us promote our our styles and graphics and other things in other ways like i say a little more lifestyle type stuff when it was really cut and dry action shots only you know yeah. we did some pretty funny stuff basketball player i bald headed and slam dunking and oh, i forgot about that one see now you're jogging my memory in a way that a lot of times we talk about the joyride team as ushering in the scape style, but really the very mm -hmm. first was Lamar. You guys were all skaters. Yeah. Like Bert was a skater. You're a skater. Jimmy yeah, was a roller skater, but he was California yeah. anyways. And Ranquit was a fucking crazy good skater. And yep. Johnson's a skater. 
So did you guys get together as a team, like the four of you for like promotion stuff, photo shoots, like team trips, that kind of stuff right off the bat? I don't remember tons of full like team meetups. I mean, even some of the ads. And once again, we're talking about a lot of years ago. (laughs) Yeah, dude. You know, they would, you know, different people would get shots from different areas and then yeah. Some of the collage ads with all of us were from multiple different areas. All writing. over the place, right. So we didn't have, I don't think, you probably can't really place it either, where you got all of us just lined up, like, we'd meet up and cross paths. And I do remember, you know, like going to Japan or different team trips, you know, kind of hanging tighter and whatnot. But definitely a lot of people had their own photographers and own places and their own images and style that they would get on camera and get on paper eventually. Dude, that's so uh, unbelievably sick that you were on that incredible team. Um, I'm trying to think of like what boards you were riding during those crusty demon days, like the double Ozabo thing. Where did that come from, and when when in your career is that? Well, Krusty was actually, you know, John Freeman made all the Creatures of Habit series movies that we did for snowboarding. Oh, yeah, right. So sorry, sorry, Habit. Creatures. I'm, I get that mixed up because it eventually became Krusty's, right? Yeah, so after that, it's when yeah. Dana Nicholson actually went to Freeman. Dana was kind of Damien's sidekick. They were buddies that would, you know, they're both pros. Damien yeah. had mad skills and Dana's just mad <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah all good anyway Dana though went to Freeman and said hey we should make freestyle motocross movies how you make the snowboard creatures of habit movies so they went and did that and that's when the crusty demons of dirt thing blew up so after that happened it dropped the whole snowboard gig and ran with crusty demons of dirt for the next 15 years were you on Black um, Flies at that time? Did you were you a part of that whole scene? Oh yeah, no, I, I rode for Black Flies since before day one. It was actually Dan Flecky and Jack A. That were the owners, and Flecky owned a screen printing company. So I remember, and he also owned part of Burning Snow, which was my clothing sponsor at the time. I remember and the ads. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, and he said, hey, there, here's some stickers. We're going to come out with a sunglass company called Black Flies. Start just plastering them and guerrilla market them everywhere. So that's what we did. Like I said, since before day one. Wow. 27 years or so now. I'm still getting free shade. Whatever. <laughs> my boys. Dude, that is that's so me. sick. You're such an OG in snowboarding. Really, I have to tell you, I'm very impressed that you designed those nectar boards because when you would look at the buyer's guides back in those days, there were some hits and there were some misses and the, and the nectar boards looked great, you know, and they were up against some stuff that looked insane, you know, it was okay. But I actually, we were behind kind of technology wise. Those first couple of models of mine, they were horizontal laminated boards, so okay. you know, like a skateboard, the same thickness. There was no taper yep. to the boards. They weren't vertically laminated like other brands were doing. So they were a bit behind, but once again, they were my 
local go-to and came with the whole sunny program and i wasn't ever out to like saying oh this you know these people paid me more you know wasn't working the system i was just going with the flow and never really you know i do give a lot of credit to people that focused and made things happen in the proper way because once again my whole life i've pretty much gone with the flow and not really sweated the small stuff Rad. Well, those vertically laminated Terry Kidwell boards from Sims, like even when he reissued some Terry Kidwells a few years ago, he wanted them vertically laminated. Mm -hmm. So there was a moment where that was like, that was kind of the cool skater thing to do. But like you say, vertical laminated just once it happened and you felt like your boards were like, okay, well, they're heavy. They're not tapered. Did you help design on Airwalk? That was more of a just step into what they had. Like I say, what I really got off on was, you know, designing my graphics as well. Yeah. Because, you know, I'd come up with an idea. I want to put my, you know, faces, spider web, and then oh, yeah. the skull spider, and then the sheriff, and then the king graphic, and the money board. And anyway, just I had fun with, like, designing all these different, you know, graphic type things that... I had an idea in my head and then they always ended up better when you got artists, you know, putting your thoughts on paper and drawing them and making them happen. And you know, same with some of these ad concepts, like I say, the, the basketball thing that was, that was a Halloween costume. And I said, Hey, let's do that for an ad. And, you know, I had a Lamar number 69 on my little tank top and slam dunking in a kid's, basket you know because it was lower so i could actually dump yeah, it yeah 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 all kinds of funny little stuff we did well are you yeah, the I, funny guy or are you are your friends funny is it like where did that sense of humor come from because it's in a lot of your stuff right like right up to double ozabo i remember rewinding that a hundred times at the shop <laughs> it's such a good scene the cliff and the thing sticks it on the cliff? I forget now. That was that dummy skit yeah, where yeah. I, I put on the mask over my head. And then and that was classic because Tom Burt was up there along with Graham and a whole handful of other people. And we did this cliff skit, you know, that <laughs> dummy skit. So cool. And the, the dummy that we put, well, that had ride off the cliff, which, yeah. by the way, I almost ended up riding off the 200-foot cliff myself. Oh, God. We borrowed, a, it was Matt Goodman's vision, I believe, snowboard is like a 180, you know, that we knew we were just going to destroy. So it was a 180, set up goofy foot, I'm regular foot. So, <laughs> oh, no. and we, we put a little channel like of snow that we built up just so it had enough snow for the board to be able to go towards the cliff and go off. Well, we did a little, you know, my shot up at top where I put the thing on my head. I go, you know jump sideways to go off the cliff and I get locked into this snow track that's oh, no. taking me off the cliff. I literally had to fall over or I would have went off of a 200 foot cliff. <laughs> so that was a little ridiculous. Yeah, well, it's just another one in the bucket. I've definitely used my nine lives, but uh, we're just uh, getting it done. And, and then, oh, but then the board, so the whole dummy that falls down that cliff, it got stuck on that cliff, which is a good 40 or 50 foot high and 
luckily Tom Burt was there because the skit would have never have happened. He was actually able to use his mountaineering climbing skills to go up to where the thing got stuck and then tuck himself behind the rock and then push it off. So that's where that second part of the thing happened. And then obviously at the bottom and then it ended up kind of in a layback position. So I went and put stuff back on and put the mask over my head. And then I (laughs) rode down to Graham and all the boys. And I'm like, yep, see me stick it on that lower shelf. That is so sick, dude. Thank you for telling me that story. Cause that is, I, I, I love that Tom Burt climbed up and pushed the dummy down. That's incredible. Holy jeez! Yeah, if Tom Burt wasn't there, he'd be, you know, that would have just been a, a scratched little skit. I, I'm, you were talking about the double O stuff. Yeah. And then we got sidetracked with that. Yeah. Well, that was double O, wasn't it? Or no, double O was. No, no, we did, we did multiple little skits. So yeah. that was the, you know, cliff dummy skit. It was <laughs> only a little 60 second skit or something. Double yeah. O was two different seven or eight minute, you know, mini movies that we did in, I think, Creatures three and four and plastic soldiers and demented chowder pilots was the name of the, those two in the series. Unfriggin' believable. That's so fun. Those movies look like you guys were just going haywire. Yeah. Well, we're just having fun. I mean, Freeman and I actually on the way back from Canada, because that's where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's where you're at. eh? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, (laughs) Right on. Um, but yeah, we were on our way back from Canada and when we were in the plane, we just started talking and, you know, came up with this yeah, double Zabo thing and going back and forth. Yeah. And do some rockets and smoke screens and, you know, develop all these fart pellets and <laughs> all kinds of funny little skit parts of it and getting the microfilm to the minister. It's so fun. And it all developed in. Like I say, he and Brett Johnson put a lot of the verbiage and skit work together. And yeah, it came out pretty cool. Yeah, man. It's a big part of that era. Well, that was the thing. Like, so, like, because, and people talk about it a lot on the show, because you had to wait for the videos to come out, there'd always be something that people would be talking about, whether it's, you know, farmer's rap or, you know, later on Rippy's backflip or something, there'd always be like a, 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 a thing. And for those years of double Ozabo, that was definitely one of those things. That cliff one was a hundred percent before double Ozabo, the cliff one was a hundred percent. The thing you had to see it was so dope, dude. I love that. Yeah. Good times. So, when you're on Lamar, are you making a fairly good living? Like, or are you snowboarding in the winter and, and then banging nails in the summer or something to, you know, to, to make ends meet? No, I've been ridiculously fortunate to just be able to make a living doing what I was doing and just keep on having fun. And geez, most of my darn life has been that way. I mean, after snowboarding, I had, my print company for over 16 years and still gave me a lot of flexibility and yeah, but back to your question though, but yeah, back in those days, you know, I made a living just like anybody else that had to go to work. It wasn't obviously a, you know, multi six figure deal, but comfortable and good enough for me. Not really sweating it or 
you know, trying to work the system just ended up kind of being now yeah, reliable is not the word, but anyway, you know, being loyal to the people I was with and just enjoying it. And yeah. Yeah. And That's super sick. Long. That's super duper sick. Who was your crew? Like Damien had Dana. Uh, you've already mentioned like Grammy and, uh, and you'd ride with TB, Tom Burt when he's, but who was your, like, who was your go-to guys? Well, I would cross paths with quite a few of those guys. And I think the guys hanging right. Well, in early days, I mean, guys, Victor Coyne, but then no, those were some of the guys and I'd just cross paths with different guys. You know, you'd mentioned, you know, farmer and then, Hetzel and you know whatever Rippy as well and Bassich and Tina and obviously Bert and then you know whatever Sean Johnson was team guy and I remember we had some crazy uh, times in Japan sliding across cars that were just all locked up in Tokyo and we're just going sliding on our asses across people's hoods and just laughing. <laughs> Oh my god! I think we were—he was just practicing for his uh, whiskey days. Oh yeah, totally. There's some we were, f- footage. There's a Lamar video, right, from that time. Like Rank was just lying on a train floor or something, just wasted. Like so that I think that was that Japan trip. Like that you guys would have all been on that trip together. That would have been mayhem. Oh yeah, classic. <laughs> uh, I remember Cardiel. How's this? We were. Uh, Remember, we were all together, and Cardiel goes to step off the curb and looks to the left like you would in normal traffic. But, you know, they go on the opposite side driving there. Oh, shit. So a car hit him from the back, you know, because he was looking left, and the car came up behind him on the right. And his shoes go flying off. He does a cartwheel over the car, landed on his feet pretty much, you know, or you know, feet slash butt and, you know, got up laughing and could have been ugly, but oh, it was a classic. That's unfreaking believable. I forgot Cardiel was on that team too. Yeah, he was for a bit. Mad skills. Too. Yeah, really. He's got that great attitude too. Did he have that when he was, when he was on the team for snowboarding, just like happy guy, having fun everywhere he goes? Yeah. Yeah. He seemed, yeah, totally happy. And like I say, really respected his, you know, skating, you're saying, you know, happy, almost thinking cool and mellow, but dude, he was explosive. Yeah. When he would doing tricks that were just kind of beyond the time and level. And, you know, he was a badass. Yeah. How did you feel about that? Cause I've talked with that, uh, with a couple of people this year about <clears throat> how, how crazy it feels, especially, I mean, when you go back that far, snowboarding had a habit of just like, picking a flavor of the year kind of thing and like moving forward. Like you made it through a few eras, you know, Damien quit while you were, while you were riding and you kept going and you kept having success. Like what did it feel like, or did it feel like, because you're so mellow, maybe you didn't have this experience, but like to go to a photo shoot, for example, and then somebody is like doing something where you're like, wow, I don't know. I didn't, no, we had to learn that or you know like uh oh here here come the kids like fuck did you have a moment like that or was was your career pretty even keel because you weren't 
like you say, a contest guy that really was trying to do, you know, win a world championship or something. Right. Yeah, no, I, like I say, I'm kind of go with the flow guy and I just do what I would do. I mean, I did do contests in the early days, but Mm -hmm. once again, I can do what I could do and I would definitely push myself, but never really got to the point. Well, I wouldn't say that. I guess when corks first started coming out, you know, I could flip and I could spin, but then learning to put them together was something scratching my head a little bit. That was one of my shoulder dislocations and surgeries. But uh, for the most part, just do what I could do and just have fun doing it. And I should have probably worked the situation a lot better. Once again, I, I would hang <laughs> with Freeman and those guys all year instead of, you know, going and filming with, you know, Fall Line or Hatchets or, you know, different uh, filmers. Right, right, so, right. I think a lot of pros feel like that. More, but yeah, again, yeah. I just cruise them and you know, <laughs> end up with tons of time that just got thrown on the floor after they put in the same small clip I would have gotten if I would have spread myself out more. But once again, I wasn't the most focused career-wise. I just going with the flow. Yeah, dude, that makes total sense, man. But at, at the same time, like you made some good choices with your sponsors. Like I said, Lamar was hot for those four years that you were on there. And then when you jump out to do your own thing, obviously it's a weird time in the, in the snowboard industry, right? When the yen crash, when Japan stopped buying boards like crazy, cause you know, the year before that they bought boards like crazy, right? Like for 10 oh, yeah. years, There's 300 they, snowboard companies. At yeah. The time. Yeah. Just like everything else that gets to the blow off top point and then down it crashes for yeah. one reason or another. So that was the reason. Yep. Yeah. So then do you continue to snowboard professionally at that point or do you take a hiatus or you just walk away? Yeah, I kind of walked away and then what kind of whatever presented my itself, which was my print business, I had a business partner, so he was a good friend of mine. And like I say, for over 16 years, I, for a couple reasons at the time, I just kind of walked away. And once again, I had multiple shoulder surgeries and kind of got to this point where my sponsors all said, Hey, we can't just keep paying you, which makes sense now after owning a business for years and years. But at the time, just a cocky youngster and saying, Hey, I've made you guys a lot of money and you seriously can't help me get through until I'm back on my feet. Anyway, turned a different direction, went and did my print business, you know, did the wife and kids and all that stuff, which, you know, was where it went. So I kind of did turn my back and my, my one liner joke is I got paid to ride my snowboard for 10 or 12 years. And then I broke myself on my dirt bike for 20 years for free. <laughs> yeah, nice. I definitely I've had a surgery for every day of the year from moto for sure. Yeah, the moto injuries are just another level. The the print thing, what is it? You're printing t-shirts or you're screen printing stickers, signs, that kind of thing? Yeah, mostly stickers, banners, different POP. I mean, at the time, which was right at the end of the 90s, 
it was kind of an easy way to go. I'd go to trade shows. Hey, Zabo, what are you doing now? Stickers, banners, all kinds of signage. So we had some pretty good companies and, you know, I had a like 5,000 and we went to a 10,000 square foot place. And then Sick. after the reception kind of back down to five and anyway, it was, it was quite a good business for quite a few years. And it was cool. Once again, just weird how things kind of <laughs> go into place. Worked out. Yeah. And you became a dad. How old are your kids now? They're 14 and a half and 16 and a half. 14 and a half. And, and I saw on social media that you lost your wife a few years back. That would have been, you know, my condolences. I have no idea what that would be like. Obviously, very yeah, hard. It was pretty heavy. But I had to learn a lot of things since then. Like I said, I had such a blessed life that uh, stuff really hits you hard like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, dying with your wife for years, it, takes you down to mm. a bad place. So definitely had to work on a lot of mindset training since that to reset my mind to uh, just basically the basics, being grateful every day for what you do have. And got a little routine that, you know, just thankful for, you know, roof over the head and food and, you know, health and basic things and, yeah. Don't worry about what you don't have. Just be grateful for what you do have. So I've been able to get myself out of a bad place and get in a good place ever since. But yeah, that was a rough one for you, sure. man. Yeah, yeah. Looked like a lot to a lot to deal with, and, but it also looked like because it's social media and and we see the, you know, we see the good days. It also looked like you were able to. Um, you know, be there for your girls and, you know, still get out and mountain bike and enjoy life. And, you know, <laughs> I'm really bad with, you know, that kind of stuff. Cause I really just don't know what to say is what it comes down to. Yeah. Well, once again, I've dealt with it. I acknowledge it. I know it's there. It's off to the side and mm -hmm. I'm just living life and enjoying the present and enjoying every day. And, Doing right. the best is every time somebody dies, uh, you know, it's almost more of a motivation to me with that mindset to live my life to the fullest, and enjoy it as much as I can. Because once again, I obviously see, you know, my wife, that was my soulmate. We had the same birthday, go that way. And my mom and tons of friends. And, you know, like I say, I, I now use it as a motivation to, make sure to enjoy life, which I do as yeah. much as I can. That's why I got to get up at 5 a.m. to go mountain bike tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's dude, that's so sick. I'm really inspired by guys that are our age that still have the flame for the action sports that they were into. You know, because I'm sure you've seen a lot of people fall by the wayside, right? Like guys that were there with you in the 80s and 90s that were ripping, that just put it away and just never went back, took an office job or some other thing you know, live a completely different life. Like action sports have been a part of your life, your whole life. And you're still doing it. Like you say, you're going 5am tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ever since nine year old, when I got a skateboard and was sponsored by 12 years old and now it's 40 plus years. Yeah. I'll do the math, but either way, <laughs> nine years old to 54 years old, whatever that is. 
That's incredible, Don. Well, I'm sure you got some prep to do for tomorrow morning. I know for me, big days starting at 5 a.m. lately have been to go snowmobiling. You know, the best power turns I've ever had in my life. It's insane. Oh, man, I know. I miss the snow. I mean, I'd say part of the reason, although I can say mountain biking and motocross and then mountain biking now for the last five years is just such a passion of mine. But that two-wheel suspension will keep working well where my <laughs> leg suspension doesn't work like it used to. I don't know. I just love it. It's like a powder day all the time when I go riding. Can't go to Alaska for the weekend. So that's my new passion. Yeah. And like I say, I'd, I'd love to be outboarding more, but I literally think I've worn out some of the bushings in my knees and my shoulders. Like I say, I've had four shoulder surgeries and I really need another one. Oh wow! So, loose, loose arm sports, you know. Yeah, opt out, but holding on to handlebars, pretty much holding in. Oh wow, dude, that's incredible. Well, I've got about a thousand more questions for you. We'll have to do another one, diving into your time in Alaska and different video parts. You're one of the greats of the history of snowboarding. The the very beginning of professional snowboarding your board was up I, I don't even know if there were other pro model boards the first year i saw it leaning against uh the garage wall at at Transworld. well obviously kidwell but oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's before craig's craig kelly air and rankwood had a mr 160 on gns oh yeah a couple years after the nectar board even i counted up there as one of the first professional snowboard endorsements it's friggin' sick, dude. Right on. Right on. Well, cool, yeah. We'll have to talk again one of these days. Huh? It was awesome to do a little going down memory lane. So thank you, man. Your podcast is fucking rad. I mean, I've, oh, now I've just kind of looked back at it a little bit and you know, saw all this stuff that, once again, I binged on it after we talked about Burt Lamar's about two years ago. Rad. You know, Hetzel and Rippy and Bassich and Sean Johnson and Boyer and Hatchet and all my boys from way back and kind of probably go binge on those things again in the near future. <laughs> it's an honor for me to hear that, dude. And it's an honor for me to talk to you. All right. I'll let you go. Thank you very much. We're going to talk again for sure, Don. Thanks for doing the show. Yeah, no worries, man. Thanks for hitting me up on it. And have yourself a great one. Enjoy the towel. F and Rad shoutouts to Don Zabo. Thanks for doing the show, man. Thank you to all Dave Henkel's friends for the kind words and memories about Dave. My condolences to his family and friends for the terrible loss. Special thanks to Justin Lamaru for sharing that wonderful story. All money raised for the Effenrad Foundation this week will be donated directly to Avalanche Awareness in Dave's name. You can donate to Effenrad Foundation at Hotmail.com. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next week for another episode of the Effenrad Snowboard Podcast, presented by Vans and brought to you by SIA Productions.